God is good, isn't he? Yes, he is. Right on. Well, I'm, I think he's good enough to have brought you here. He must be real good. And uh, if you brought your Bible, we're going to get into the last bit of Colossians. It's been a great time studying this book. I've enjoyed it very much. I hope you have. hope you've learned something. hope you received something. hope you'll walk away with uh, something new and, and a new understanding, not just of the, um, of the culture and the, and the atmosphere and the surroundings of the time, but more importantly of the spiritual word that's being spoken to us today. You know, sometimes we can get so caught up in wanting to know the background and the history and the culture, and I like that stuff. It gives me some context to what I'm reading, but that's not the point because this is a living word of God. If this was a book of history then that'd be the most important thing. But this is living. It's not just God's word from 2,000 years ago. It's God's word right now to us. So it's not just, well, that's interesting to know what they were going through. I can go through the same thing. No, understand, God wrote this being outside of time. So when God gave these words to Paul, Paul wrote them down faithfully to another church. But at the same time, God had already been to the future. He's, he lives here, you know. He doesn't, he's not bound to linear time. He's in the past, he's in the present, he's in the future. He's outside of time. So when he's telling the Colossians this, he's already seen your life. He already saw 2012. And no, I don't think he saw it ending because the Mayans said it would in December. The world will end when he says it's time to end. Either way, he saw this day and age, and he still spoke what he spoke, knowing it'd be eternal. That the very same things that they're dealing with, we may have different contexts to what we're dealing with. We've got technology that they didn't have. We've got uh, some cultural systems and, and thought patterns and paradigms that they didn't have. But you know what? People are still people. And we still, I mean, it's amazing to think that the same junk that Adam and Eve were tempted with, is the same junk we're tempted with now. The same stuff. That lust of the flesh, that pride, the the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life that John speaks about, is is the stuff that Eve was tempted with in the garden, is the stuff that you're dealing with right now, that the world is dealing with right now, and it's the stuff that still we have overcome through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. So you know what? This word is so relevant today, it's just as relevant as as it was back then. And so, as we come to chapter 4, we're going to wrap it up here. Chapter 4, the section we're on, is quite interesting because um, it's kind of like, it, it does seem like the closing of a letter. And you may think, how can I get anything out of this last bit? Because this last bit is kind of like the, the acknowledgements, the thank yous to this person, say hi to this person. It's funny that we do that today, right? If somebody's going to another city and they're going to see a friend of ours, we go, say hi to them for us. Like we don't have email and telephones and all of that. Like this is ancient Greece where we send a messenger. <laughs> Jonathan says hello. Okay, well, run back and say hello for me, you know, where we could just pick up the phone and say hello. But back then it was very different. You know, they weren't going to see each other for, for months or years on end. And, and so when somebody was going to that city, you made sure that you sent your greetings and your love to, to people. And, and I, I, what I, we want to see in this little bit, this last bit, is 
some important names that pop up that you may not know. Some names that are very important in the body of Christ that you may not recognize. We sometimes look at the Apostle Paul like he was a real lone ranger. Just went out there and did all this stuff for God. And if it hadn't been for him, none of it would have gotten done. And he just went out by himself. But even if you discount Luke, who was the guy that wrote the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke, who was a physician that traveled with Paul, even if you discount him, even if you discount Barnabas and Silas and some of those guys that traveled with Paul, there's still a whole cast of characters that play a part in this story that we may not know of. You see, the book of Acts is only so big. It didn't have time to focus on every single person or event that took place. But through letters like this, we're able to discover that this is a story that we know as the early church story. It was not about one man or 12 men or 120 men, or women for that matter. It was a story of a movement. It was a story of God's Spirit in many different people working in many different ways. And what we're going to see in this last chapter is the importance of all those other people that may not get all the credit. Is the importance of those people that played a part in the gospel getting out that maybe didn't get their name on a book of the Bible or maybe didn't get their name on a church somewhere, but nevertheless played an important role. And maybe you'll see yourself in these people. Maybe you'll see somebody else in this chapter. Maybe there's somebody that you've just kind of saw continually do a good work and you haven't thought of how important that was. And I hope you'll see it tonight. I want to remind you in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In fact, can I read it real quick to you? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 27, it says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, the miracles and gifts of healings. Now, I want you to know that there's several different lists in the New Testament of different gifts. So it's a mistake for you to say that one, one little bit is a complete list or this little bit is a complete list. If you looked at Ephesians 4, you'd see some different things as well. But here it says teachers, miracles, gifts of healings. Now listen, look at this. Helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And, and sometimes that helps and administration kind of get glossed over. Like, what in the world does that mean? Does that mean the secretary? Is that what that's talking about? There's somebody anointed to be a secretary? Maybe, maybe that's part of it. But I really believe that those helps, you look, they get slotted right in there with apostles. They get slotted, slotted right in there with teachers. They get slotted right in there with miracles. That that helps is so important. Those people that are working in the administration of the gospel are so important. And sometimes we say, well, yeah, but, but they're not as important as this group. But the Bible doesn't say that. Puts them in right with the same group. Those helps play a part. And if you remember, as Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, he writes to the church and he says that the one who speaks, I want you to speak as if God is speaking through you. And then he says, and the one who serves, serve in the strength that God provides. That in all things, God may be glorified. That in all things, Christ may be glorified in the church. You know, this is the, the coolest thing is that the way God is glorified is when we kind of step out of the way and He does most of the work. That's when He gets most glorified. And when I say step out of the way, that may be misleading. Because it really is stepping into the way but letting Him do the work. If you stay on the sidelines, it's not like Jesus is just going to say, good, finally you're on the sidelines, I finally get to do my thing. What He wants you to do is to step in 
to the area of ministry that he's called you to, into the area of the body that he's called you to, but let him do the working. Let him do the power. Let him supply what you need. And as much as you expect the speaker to speak from the word of God, we all here are mature enough, I'd hope, that when someone gets up here to speak, you expect that they've prayed. You expect that they've studied, don't you? You've expected that they've prepared for this service. How would you like to think, how would you like if I stood up and just said, you know what, all week I got, a, I got like five DVD set of a, of a TV show I hadn't seen. I've just been watching back-to-back episodes. In fact, right up until time for church, I was just watching that show so good. Not spiritual at all. I was just watching TV this whole time. And you know what? I don't really know what to talk to you about, but let's just get into it and see what comes up. You probably wouldn't be too impressed with that, would you? Like, this is the church we're going to, really? Oh, no, no, guys, don't worry. I got a sermon from, it, from the Internet. I'm just going to read it to you, and we're going to go point by point through it. I got, all, I got it on a website. It's reputable. It's fine. You wouldn't feel too good about that. I don't think you would. You expect that someone who's going to minister the Word to you is a bit prepared for it. To spend some time praying that's, that, that expects that it's not just, it's not trying to carry the service on their ability to communicate, but rather wants God to work through them to communicate something, to, to bring revelation. You know, because it doesn't matter how good the speaker is. It doesn't matter what their ability is to, to, to use fancy words or, or how funny they are. Really, all I really, I mean, the big thing I want in somebody that's ministering to me is I want them to be able to be a vessel that God can use to bring revelation to something that I don't know, something that I haven't seen, or maybe that I haven't seen as much as I need to see. I want God to use somebody to bring revelation to something that's been a mystery. I want to walk out of there know, being filled with something and receive something that I didn't have when I walked in. I didn't come to hear a good speaker. I came to hear the Word of God. As much as you expect that, he says, as much as that guy gets up and says, if you're going to speak, speak, let God speak through you. He says, if you're going to serve, do it in the strength that God provides. Do it in the power of God. Let God work through you as you serve. There's a whole cast of characters in the Bible that aren't the main speaking voice. They're not the person on the poster. But they're just as valuable and they must be just as anointed, just in a different area. I'm reminded of the seven that absolutely shook the early church. Absolutely shook. The seven that were chosen to do what? To make sure widows were being fed fairly. Is that, a, is that the dream you've had for ministry? It's to make sure everybody gets fairly fed? This was, their, this was what they were picked for. But remember, they were picked not just because they were good at business stuff. These were the first deacons. And so many times in our modern culture, we have bigger churches that needed a big group of deacons because they got a lot to handle. They've chosen people that had good business knowledge. Do you know the people in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, were not picked because of their business knowledge? It says nothing about their business knowledge. That wasn't the important thing. The first thing that's mentioned of the lead guy that's picked, Stephen, is talking about his faith and full of the Spirit. 
that, that he ministered in grace and power. Out of that group came Stephen, the first martyr, that, that planted the seed in Paul that would later ignite into his apostleship and spread all over the world. Out of that group came, came Philip, who, who brought the gospel for the first time after Jesus rose from the dead, for the first time into the area of the Samaritans. Out of that group, out of that, that, that the group of outcasts who weren't quite, didn't fit in as quite as well as the Jewish Jews, but these were the Greek Jews. They're a little bit of the outsiders. Out of those outsiders, maybe not the original seven, but some that were under their ministry, came the first missionary church in Antioch, came the move of God to get out of Jerusalem and get into some of these other areas, to get out of just ministering to Jews and begin ministering to the nations all over the world. Do you know why they got picked to wait tables? Do you know why they got picked to serve food? Because they were full of faith and full of the Spirit. And if you're getting picked for a job, a role in the body of Christ, don't think you're getting picked just because you've got a skill. You need to do what you do in the power of God. If you're mopping the floors, mop them in the power of God. If you're ministering to seniors, they are not less important than anybody else. And so go in and minister to those seniors with the power of God and believe that miracles are going to take place. Believe that revelation is going to come and old men will dream dreams again. Believe these things. If you're picking up people from the Thorpe Recovery Center to come to church, or the men's shelter to come to church on a Sunday morning, believe and pray on your way there that this van would be filled with the presence of God, that the moment they get in, chains would fall off, that addictions would begin to break over them, that if they're carrying evil spirits, those evil spirits would be so uncomfortable, they got to flee out of that van. Pray that when you go to work, that everybody you lock eyes with would be touched by the Spirit of God. I'm reminded of Charles Finney as he went through upstate New York preaching the gospel and he goes into this one, this one area where he, he just walks in to a sewing factory where he's not known yet. He hasn't started ministering in this village yet, in this town yet. But as he walks in, the girl at the front locks eyes with him and breaks down and begins to weep and shake uncontrollably. And all around her, every other woman at those sewing machines breaks down and begins to weep and repent. And he didn't say a word. Don't you have that same anointing? Whether you're a clerk at a grocery store, how many people look you in the eye? Whether you're a waiter at a restaurant, whether you're an accountant, whatever you do, you come in contact with people. Do it in the power of God. And here in Colossians chapter 4, I want you to read about the supporting cast that Paul begins to acknowledge. Because this gospel that spread throughout of all of Greece and Asia Minor, Syria, Judea, Rome, Italy, eventually to Spain. Thomas takes it to India. Begins to spread all over the world. But this gospel that begins to spread is not spreading because of a few good men. It's spreading because of body. Sometimes the guy who speaks is only a part of the chain. The guy who speaks is not the only instrument that God uses to get the message out. Some of us think that if we had another Paul, 
he could reach the world for Jesus. And we've got people that I believe today are just as anointed as he was. But I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't Paul that reached the world. It was the kingdom. It was the body of Christ that reached the world. And Paul gets a lot of credit because we read about him in the book of Acts. He gets a lot of credit because he wrote a lot of these letters that we read today. God used him as an instrument to get revelation to the people then and to the people now. But I'm going to tell you, he didn't do it alone. There is a whole cast of characters that, that, that were a part of the gospel getting out. I remind you of what we've talked about before when he was in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. He's in Ephesus and it says he spent two years at the school of Tyrannus preaching to the disciples every day ministering to them. And it said the gospel spread to all of Asia. And as we've said before, the only way that can happen, if he's staying in the same place, and there's not the internet, there's not TV, the only way that it can spread to all of Asia while he's in one place is for these people to go out and spread it. The gospel was spread because there were a lot of other people involved. And I want you to see this in verse 7. We stopped at verse 6 a couple weeks ago. Verse 7 says, As to all my affairs... Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. I want you to look at those three terms. These three phrases that he uses to, to uh, describe this guy, I think are way higher than any title we put on ourselves. Sometimes we get so hung up on fancy titles, right? Everybody wants a big title. These are three big ones for me. More than any title of respect or honor. I want to be called these three. He calls him, listen to this, beloved brother, which first and foremost speaks of our sonship in Christ, our family relationship. I don't know if there's a higher title than brother. Some people I, I talk to in other places and they, they introduce me as Jonathan and then they, they, they say, oops, I'm sorry, Pastor Jonathan. But you know what? You call me brother, I'm going to be just as happy. I think brother is a high title because it reminds us of our place in the family and that you and me aren't any different in that body and that we get to be called brothers and sisters in the Lord. That reminds us that we have one father, one family. And I love that. You call me brother Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan's fine too, but brother Jonathan's just as good. I like that. Our beloved brother, faithful servant. Wow. You don't get to be called faithful servant just because somebody likes you. You don't get to be called faithful servant because you were promoted in a job. Faithful servant comes from what you've been doing with your life. Somebody watches you and observes you've been a faithful servant. That is not a title that's bestowed on you before you did something. This guy has been a faithful servant. Oh, to be called a faithful servant, which means, guys, faithful servants are the ones that stick around when you get better opportunities somewhere else, when there are better offers for you somewhere else, when you could climb the ladder faster somewhere else, but you know this is where God called me, that's what makes a faithful servant. Because anybody could be a servant in good times. Anybody can be a servant if it helps you, if you're going to be paid a lot. You know what? There are people that work for celebrities that get paid so much, they don't mind clipping somebody else's toenails. You're paying me enough, I'll do anything. I'll pick up your coffee, I will lick stuff off the floor. You're paying me enough. Now, that's not me. I'm not saying I do that, but a lot of people do. 
Some people serve just because, you know what, it's, it's a way of advancing myself. But a faithful servant, whether it's good or bad, easy or hard, they stick it out because this is where they're supposed to be. He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful servant. And, and Paul here really corrects us if we think that he's greater than anybody else because he says he is a fellow. Fellow is a lateral relationship. It is horizontal. Now, I'm going to tell you, this guy here, he's the one that delivered the letter. Do you know how he probably got the order to deliver the letter? I imagine the Apostle Paul said, deliver this letter. I imagine, if I'm reading my Bible correctly, that this guy probably took some orders from Paul. So this doesn't mean that there isn't a place in the body for somebody to say, listen, I need you to do this. This is, you know what, let's, let's, this is, it's my role to tell you this is what you need to do. But, even in all of that, we're still equal in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, we are all brothers and sisters. And so, even though Paul probably gave this guy orders, didn't mean that this guy was any lower than Paul. And he calls him a fellow bondservant. That's the Greek word dolos, which means slave. I mean, it's just somebody who has given their life to do what God told them to do given their life, laid their life down and says nothing else matters. My name, my reputation, my position, it doesn't matter. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, just as Jesus was. Remember in Philippians chapter 2, it says Jesus laid down his titles and took on the form of a bondservant. So this isn't any lower than Jesus. But even Jesus himself took on the form of a bondservant and said my life's not my own. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. That's what a bondservant does. Tychicus is a fellow bondservant. We can just call him Tiki. Want to call him Tiki? Tiki Tiki? He is our beloved brother. He is a faithful servant. And he's a fellow bondservant in the Lord. And he'll bring you information. He'll fill you in on what's going on. And it says this. For I have sent him to you. So there we go. Paul told him to go. He didn't say he volunteered. It says Paul sent him. This means that he goes, what do you need, God? What do you need, Paul? Now, Paul, didn't, Paul wasn't controlling or dominating this man because Paul's in prison. He can't make anybody do anything. But there is a scriptural principle that you submit to the people in the Lord just because the Lord told you to. You get over yourself and realize that in doing this, we are all submitting to Christ and we are submitting to each other in love. So this guy is sent by Paul to do this very thing for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. It says this, And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. How many of you know about Onesimus? You know the story of Onesimus? Onesimus was a runaway slave. The last time... These people saw Onesimus. He was a slave. Then he ran away. It's implied that he might have taken some stuff when he ran. Oops. <laughs> That's implied because Paul says, whatever he's cost you, I put it on my account. So the Paul, he runs to Paul because he knows Paul. And Paul receives him as a brother, writes a letter to his former master and says, Forgive this guy for what he took and what he did wrong. But I want you not to see him as a slave anymore. 
I want you to let him be free, and I want you to consider him a brother in Christ. So when Onesimus is coming back, the Apostle Paul is calling him a brother, putting him on equal terms, calling him a brother, and he says he is faithful. He's one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. <laughs> so, yeah, all right. Next verse. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you receive instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who's called Justice. And you're like, whoa, Jesus, wait a second. But you know, Jesus uh, was, was not a, a terribly un- uncommon name. Uh, the Hebrew word, uh, the Hebrew name Jesus was basically Yeshua or Joshua, right? So just as much as Joshua is not uncommon now, it wasn't then. But they kind of gave him a second name so as not to cause confusion. Because <laughs> if you had the, uh, you happen to be named Jesus and then joined a group that worshipped a guy named Jesus, we might give you another nickname so you could tell the difference, right? So they call him Justice, which is a good name, right? Okay, he gets to be called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are allowed to see it in Heropolis. Those are the two big cities that, that are right beside Colossae. Colossae wasn't a big city. Those are the two big ones right there. So everybody in Colossae was very connected to Laodicea and Heropolis. These were the major centers that they uh, were a part of. And so here, we'll get back to, to that guy in a minute. It says, also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. We'll get back to that too. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. In Philippians, in fact, let's turn there and and hold your place in Colossians 4. Philippians, we're going to see some more people who play a role in supporting the work that God's doing through Paul and supporting the churches. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. I want you to see that. The, the guy that the Apostle Paul was going to send to him was not just any other guy. But he was a guy who was of kindred spirit, which means of the same spirit as me. It's so hard sometimes to find people to serve with you that will have the same heart for the ministry that you have. Now, we've had plenty of people um, in history, uh, lots of pastors, lots of evangelists, lots of ministers have somebody that wants to help them that's got an ulterior motive. They, They say, you can help me get where I need to be. But God's looking for faithful and loyal people. Now, you're not just loyal to that person. You're loyal first and foremost to Christ. But a guy like Timothy is not trying to bump Paul out of the way to get his way. And I love what it says here that he is a kindred spirit and he has concern for you like I have. That he has caught 
the vision that Paul, God gave Paul. He's caught that vision. He's got that same heart for them. It says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. You see how rare it is for somebody who would genuinely catch that vision? So, so rare for somebody to say, I've got that same heart that you've got. He says, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Oops. We don't want this ever said about us. The kingdom of God is not a ladder. It's not a ladder for you to just get to the top. The kingdom of God is in each and every one of us, is around each and every one of us. And the kingdom of God does not work like every other kingdom. Jesus basically described it as an upside-down kingdom where the greatest would be the servants. The ones that are first in this life will be last in the kingdom. The ones that are last will be first. How we view importance and significance is not how God sees it. And so there may be a day when the awards in heaven are handed out and the guy who had all those people looking up to him gets a few awards. And the guy who lived forever in relative insignificance. Nobody really knew his name, but he carried out the will of God and the purpose of God in his generation. Gets a row of awards. It may be surprising who gets the applause in heaven. And our job as believers, I believe, is to as best as we can echo the applause of heaven and applaud the ones who are faithful and applaud the ones who may not get applause anywhere else, but are doing the work of the Lord. Those are people that, that should get some respect, should get some appreciation. And there are so many who are looking for worldly significance, even though they love Jesus, and they want to be in the ministry. I know I've met these, I have friends who've wanted to be in the ministry, and, they, and they've got big dreams And if you're not careful, you start to look at it as who can help me get to the top. But the top as you know it isn't the top. The top has nothing to do with who has the most followers on Twitter. The top doesn't have anything to do with who has the TV show on the, on the networks. The top doesn't have anything to do with how big your church is. The top is who is doing what God's called you to do. And so here he says, there are so many people that have, have, I'm assuming have offered to help Paul. But they're just using him to get to the top. They're seeking after their own interests and not of Christ Jesus. So he says, I've got no one else like Timothy who is genuinely concerned for you. His big concern is not himself, but the church. I want you to realize, let's make this practical for us. Can we do that? Most of you in this room have been called to this church. And if you're called somewhere else, apply this to your situation. If you're called here, you understand that this isn't my church. This isn't anybody's church but God's. If I left, the church would still be here. And God would still be here. Same thing when Pastor David or Pastor Ronnie, when they were leading the church, it was God's church, right? It wasn't theirs. You may have a role in the church to lead the church, to oversee the church, but it doesn't make it yours. And so through the years... There have been well-meaning people that have said things like, I want to do you a favor, Pastor, and I'll shove the church of sidewalks. 
And we appreciate that and try to smile and nod. But in the back of our minds, in the back of, you know, I remember even when I was a kid, my, my, you know, my dad would hear that or, you know, Pastor Brownie would hear that. The one thing we'd always, you know, you always want to say is, you think you're doing this for me? <laughs> like, this isn't my house. <laughs> it's not my job. I've been called to ministry. But that doesn't mean you're doing me a favor. Don't do me a favor. Do it for the Lord. Right? And so, I mean, <laughs> you really have got to know that whatever God's called you to do in here, you're doing it for Him. This is a movement. If this building burns down, God's still got something to do here. If the, if the leaders change, God would still have something to do here. It's bigger than a person. So you're not helping somebody else. You're working for the Lord. And He's got something that, he, that He's, hopefully, He's got something that He needs us to do together as a group. And you've got to get over your own ambition and begin to say, we're working for the kingdom. And we're doing it together. And we each have a role and we're each going to do it. We've got a message to get out. We've got a city to reach. We've got two provinces to reach. This is bigger than any of us. We've got to get over ourselves and begin to think of what God wants for this area. Why are we here? We're not here to support a ministry. We're here to be a part of His ministry. Because none of us own our ministries. There's only one calling. There's only one ministry, and it's His. And we each have a part in that ministry. But this isn't my call. This isn't my ministry. It's His. And we've all got a part in that. So don't seek your own interests. Seek the interests of Christ Jesus. He says this. But you know of His proven worth, that He served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving His Father. He served with me, but the way he furthered the gospel was by serving Paul like a child serving his father. Now, many of us, born into democracy, born into freedom, get a little uncomfortable with terms like this. Serving you, Paul? You need to take a step down, buddy. Because... We've just been learning that we're all equal here. You're sounding a little like a king to me. Shouldn't he just be serving Jesus? Can't you get your own cup of coffee? Well, first, Paul, for a lot of this, was in prison. Needed some help. But he says, Timothy's job, now Timothy's role changed. He pastored a couple, a few churches. He was in charge of entrusting other men, as we talked about on Sunday, entrusting other faithful men with this message. His role changed. But for the first part of his ministry, his job was to help Paul. And if you'll accept it, here's what he says, like a child serving his father. The reason this is so hard for us to understand is we've grown up in an honorless generation where kids don't respect their parents. So this is foreign to us. Kids just want their parents to provide everything for them and then get out of the house. You pay my way to college and I'm on my own. But God's order of things is not like that. And here it says, like a child serving his father. So it's not like a slave to a master. Because he says, your master is Jesus. 
Paul's not his master. But like a child serving his father, there's a family relationship here. And he says this. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. The reason he says this is because he's in prison. doesn't know when he's going to get out. He doesn't know how the trial is going to go. So he says, I hope I get to come see you soon. So if you were Timothy, would you be okay with somebody just sending you from town to town? How do you feel about that? You've got roots. You've got a home. You've got family. How do you feel about somebody just saying, okay, I'm sending you to Nippon? Okay, when? Now. How long? As long as it takes. Go help the church over there. Dwight Kenley's pastoring a church over there. You go help him. Well, don't I get a say in this? If you want to say, do you want to say? No, I don't want to say. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> you remember Titus who got sent to pastor a church in Crete that Paul right, just straight out says they're a bunch of liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons? You have to go there and pastor. Do you know Titus didn't get to go and say, well, Paul, if I hear from God, then I will. He goes, okay. <laughs> You're saying God's telling you I'm supposed to go there? Yes, you go there. Okay. Titus didn't say, well, Paul, I haven't heard that. He trusted Paul enough to say, Paul sent him there and said, it's a, it's a bum job, dude. You're going to have to go to a church that's just full of a bunch of losers. Have fun. I'll visit from time to time. Wait, I had dreams. Timothy, same thing. Timmy, pastor this church, well, won't you? Well, but Paul, I, I want, I, uh, no, no, no buts. Are you going to do it, aren't you? Okay, I'll do it. Sometimes we have trouble connecting with this. Somebody sending us somewhere, somebody, but you know what? I hope that as we all mature, we grow in the Lord enough to know that while nobody is meant to dominate us, nobody is our master but Jesus, that there are times where we submit spiritually to those that God put us under, and we just trust somebody. And you trust them enough to say, all right, you're telling me this is, you tell me go preach at the seniors' home, I'll go preach at the seniors' home. Okay. And, uh, you know, that'll come with maturity. I've never seen a successful minister, I've never seen a successful leader, I should say, who wasn't also able to be under someone else's leadership. If you, can't serve, if, you can't, if you can't learn to be under somebody else's leadership, you're going to be a lousy leader. Just be terrible. Everybody who's anything in the kingdom has learned how to listen to somebody else and put their own interests aside for a bit. Here's what it says. <laughs> Let's get to the fun stuff already. Come on. But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Look at all this fellow stuff, right? He's giving him value. He's giving him worth. He says, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Oh, wouldn't you love, Brent, for Paul to call you a fellow soldier? Like, that's something you put on your wall. Yeah, that greeting card gets framed. He called me a fellow soldier. Righteous, man, I like this. Yeah, no kidding. He says, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, that you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive them 
receive him then, sorry, in the Lord with all joy and hold him, men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Let's break that up for a second. This guy's job was sent, a church sent him to help Paul. Now when he says he was sent to fill up what was deficient in your service to me, it doesn't mean that that church wasn't measuring up. It just meant they couldn't do from, the, from a distance what needed to be done, so they sent somebody else to do it. And Epaphroditus' job wasn't to go and preach to big churches. His job wasn't to go and, 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 and pray for the sick in the hospitals. His job was to help Paul on behalf of his church. And when he comes back, he almost died helping Paul. He almost died. How many of us would do that? When he comes back, he says, I want you to hold guys like that in high regard. Our culture teaches us to hold guys like that a little bit lower than the big wigs. It teaches us that that guy's just a helper. He's just a helper. He'll always be just a helper. But in the kingdom of God, there's nobody that's just a helper. This guy is supposed to get high regard in church, not because he ministered to thousands, not because he had crusades where 10,000 people were saved, not because he had the big ministry, but because he was willing to help somebody else get the gospel out, putting his own interests aside and serving in the power of God. Hold him in high regard. I want you right now, just take a moment and think about people you know that fit into this category who may not get all the accolades but have been faithfully serving in what God called them to do. And I want you to make a mental note of that and I want you to do something about it. I want you to hold them in high regard and I want you to thank them. And I want you to pray for them. And if you're that person that you say, that should be me, then step up and embrace the call of God in your life. And you're anointed to do just that. You're anointed to do whatever God called you to do. Back to Colossians 4, remember Timothy had an unparalleled concern for the church. Let's read what Paul says about Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, and this may be the same Epaphras. Epaphras may be a, an abbreviation of Epaphroditus. It may be a different guy. We don't know. Could be the same guy we just were talking about. Could be a different guy. But he says, Epaphras, who's one of your number, bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Wow. Think about this. He's not with them. He's not at home. But he is laboring earnestly for somebody else in his prayers. You know what? He's not sending letters home saying, reminder, guys, I'm praying for you. Send me an offering. Donation link below. He's just praying for him. He feels that this is part of his role in the bodies, to pray for that church. Do you know God put people in this church whose role, whose big role, they've got other roles, but their big role is to pray for the church, to pray for the ministry, and to move things in the spirit that we can't even see. And he says he has been laboring. Does labor sound fun? And the women are like, no. <laughs> laboring is work. 
Laboring's not like a five-minute prayer here, a two-minute prayer there. Laboring means he is fighting spirits. He is tearing down strongholds. He's staying in his room praying until something moves. And he says he's laboring earnestly for you, for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Oh my goodness. Do you think he's wasting his time praying? Do you think he was important? If he was then, then we can assume, if he, if he was supposed to be praying this, we can assume if he hadn't been praying, they may not have been so easily walking in the will of God. If he hadn't been praying, there'd be parts of their lives that weren't being perfected quite so efficiently or quickly or at all. Have you ever felt... Like, I don't know why things have started to move in my life, but I'm thankful they, are, they have. Sometimes it's because somebody's praying for you. Where you're like, all of a sudden, stuff is clicking in my life. Not, not that it just got easy all of a sudden, but suddenly you feel like you've got help. Suddenly you feel like there's wind at your back. That's somebody praying for you. I can tell you from being all the way across the world, there were times where we could feel the surge and knew the church was praying. You could feel all of a sudden where we'd send an email back and say, please pray. Or before email, there were times before email where we'd send, you know, like a phone call and say, please pray, this is what's going on. And we knew when Wednesday night came and the church began to pray, there was a surge behind us. Some of us just think that praying is some religious duty, something we just do. Oh, no. Here, it's helping this church to stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. His prayer is making a difference. Thank God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are allowed to see it in Heropolis. He has a deep concern for you. And I believe God has put some of you in the body whose concern is for the work of God. You may not be the one that gets to be put on all the posters. You may not be the one with the microphone in your hand. You may, I don't know. But some of you have been called to hold up and fight the unseen battles. Some of you have been called, like Aaron and Hur, to stand and hold Moses' arms up. Some of you have been called, like Joshua, to fight the battle while Moses holds his arms up. Those three men in that story, I'm gonna, some of you may not know that story. Real quick, the Israelites were fighting an enemy and Moses stood on the mountain and held up his staff. And as long as he held up his staff, they won. And when his arms got tired and his staff went down, they began to lose the battle. So his brother Aaron and another man named Hur came up and held his arms in the air. And as his arms were held in the air, the Israelites won. Moses was not fighting those people. Joshua was leading the soldiers. So we needed a Joshua to stand there and get his hands dirty and do some fighting. Sometimes we need a Joshua to get some work done, get your feet on the ground, and fight. He had Aaron and Hur who came and held up his hands. Sometimes you need Aaron and Hur's to come and minister to the other guy who's ministering. Sometimes you need helpers who will say, I'm going to help you do what God called you to do. Get over your personal interests and say, this isn't about me, it's not about them. 
Because you know what? Elisha served Elijah faithfully, even though Elijah was very likely a manic, depressive, bipolar prophet. (laughs) Who was not always polite to Elisha. His first meeting, he says, come, follow me. Come, you're going to help me out. Elisha says, you know, can I finish my, can I do what I'm doing? And and Elijah (laughs) throws him his coat and says, what have I have to do with you? Why am I bothering with you, you know? That's his first meeting. He's not real polite. Doesn't say, here's your starting salary. We'll give you a promotion. We'll give you a, a signing bonus. Just says, follow me. You'll help me out. And Elisha's like, can I finish plowing my fields? And Elijah's, what have I to do with you? And just walks away. Elijah, the guy that's on the top of the world one day and like the next day is wanting to kill himself. If you go around, and we're going to wrap up. I realize I'm going late here. But if you go around looking for perfect people to serve, you'll never find them. (laughs) They don't exist. You're occasionally going to help somebody in the body of Christ that snaps at you. You can be a little wimp about it and think that God has forsaken you. (laughs) The angels in heaven are ready to just tear your house apart because this guy snapped at you. And you can go home and say, I don't know whatever went wrong. I don't know why I ever helped this person. He's obviously a jerk. Or you can say, I'm not working for them. Ultimately, I'm working for the Lord. So always, like we said on Sunday, you've got to get over people's human side. I realize I'm not, I've got to get over the fact that this person isn't perfect. I'm going to do what God told me to do. That last verse, sorry, the second last verse. We'll close with this. Say to Archippus, take heed. That means pay attention to the ministry which you've received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Many of us have received a ministry. There are often stages to your ministry. There's been several stages, um, several stages in my life, and each one has been just as important as the next or the last. This will be several stages in many of your lives. Some of you have been doing this a lot longer than me. And you've gone through several seasons and stages um, where ministry looked different. But whatever it is, it's a ministry that you've received. You don't earn it. You don't grab it. It is given. But it has to be paid attention to. You can't neglect it. God is not going to force you to finish your job. He's not going to force you to do what you're supposed to do. If he was, Paul wouldn't have had to write that last sentence. He said, tell this guy, pay attention to the ministry God gave you. If you don't pay attention to it, you may not have somebody to snap you back into shape. You may not have somebody to come and tell you you're missing out on your opportunities. You've got to take responsibility for what's been given and entrusted to you And understand that it's the strength of God, it's the grace of God, it's the power of God that's going to do all the heavy lifting. But you have to pay attention. And you have to put yourself to work. And you have to say, pay attention to this that I may fulfill it. You're going to have different assignments throughout your life. You're going to have different assignments this year, next year, five-year assignments, ten-year assignments, five-month assignments. 
you're going to have to figure out what those are. And you're going to have to pay attention to them that you may fulfill them. Because at the end, we're all going to get called up. And every bit of punishment's already been borne by Jesus. So don't worry, you won't get a spanking. But we're all going to get called up in front of the great judge of all. And we're going to be asked what you did with what you were given. And the, I didn't know that I was supposed to do that excuse doesn't go very far. Because to whoever he's called, he gives you clues, he speaks to your spirit. If you're not listening, that's not God's fault. So I, I don't want to be down on anybody here, but I want to tell you, sitting back and waiting for somebody to grab you by the neck and put you in a line, it's probably not going to happen. I, 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 I'm going to tell you that straight. Some of us are waiting and we have these dreams that, that will be discovered like a, like a waitress in Hollywood. And we'll just be discovered and put into the big show. That all of a sudden, in the middle of a service, somebody will go, oh, I'm hearing something by the Spirit of God. You, you, get up there and grab the microphone. Maybe that will happen. That's happened from time to time, right? It happened to you. <laughs> but doesn't always happen. Sometimes you've got to hear from God, put your head down and say, all right. I hear you. I will take the first step. You've got to show me which the, what the next one is. But I'm going. I'm walking. I'm doing my part. I'm faithful in what I'm doing right now so that I can be a ruler over what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm going to do what you called me to do no matter how low it seems because I know if I'm great in the kingdom, I've got to be a servant of all. I want you to be encouraged by what we just read. Because if anything, do you ever imagine that these guys thought, could ever dream that what they may have thought was a small role in the body of Christ would get their name in a book that would be read to the end of time. Isn't that cool? Isn't it cool that Epaphras is still being talked about today? <laughs> God had bigger plans for them than they knew. But their role was to do what they were called to do in the power of God, the strength of God, and what we need to do is two things as we wrap this up. Two things. You need to first and foremost realize what is God called me to do. Put your interests aside. Pick up his interests and say, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care whether I get a certificate at the end. I'm just going to do what God called me to do. I'm going to be faithful in it in the hard times and the good times. Whether somebody claps me on the back or not, I'm going to do it for the Lord. And then secondly, you need to look around and hold people in high regard that may not get high regard anywhere else and say, thank you for cleaning the church. Thank you for ministering to the children. Thank you for changing diapers. Thank you for helping that minister out. Thank you for giving so generously. And just be thankful and grateful for all of these wonderful people around you that are doing things that may not get the hand clap every day, but are doing what God called them to do. Whatever you do, do in the strength of God that God may be glorified in all things. Amen.